Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast, episode 110, the one about the Amsterdam International Documentary Film Festival and the big marketing meetup, Belfast Conference. Let's get on with the show. Well, welcome everyone to a special recording of Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast. We are back with more news, tech content, and wisdom from the world of marketing. Joining me, my co-host, a marketing speaker and consultant, spent his whole career helping his customers get their marketing simple but effective. He's the author of Catsmats and Marketing Plans and the creator of the Roger video series. I give you Monsieur Roger Edwards. Oh, thank you so much. And of course, my co-host is a digital marketing veteran. He's a speaker, trainer, and advisor with nearly three decades of experience. He enjoys revealing visual storytelling techniques to help you build better online campaigns faster. I give you Monsieur Pascal Fintoni. Thank you very much for this introduction. And I did hint a moment ago this was a special recording, and it also happens to be episode 101. It actually happens to be episode 110. It is. <laughs> episode... I got my digits wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's episode 110. Yeah, this is a this is going to be a special episode, Pascal, because both you and I over the last week have been to different conferences in different cities, and we've each had different experiences. Indeed. So it so happens that I spent four days in Amsterdam and attended the um, business side of the International Documentary Film Festival. And I was there with a client of mine. We've been working on the marketing, I was working on the, the pitch readiness of their documentary, and we wanted to sell it to distributors. And within the, the event, there were talks, there was uh, discussion, roundtables, and some more, lots of film marketing tidbits to bring back to this episode. And of course, if you go to a film marketing conference, it makes absolute perfect sense for us to talk about it in this podcast because of our weekly film marketing segment on the show. The conference I went to was a marketing conference, so of course it fits with the format as well. It was called the Big Marketing Meetup, and it took place in Belfast. Now, I try to remember the last time I went to Belfast, and I actually convinced myself that it was only about eight years ago, but on a closer examination of diaries and posts going back, it actually turned out to be 15 years since I've last been to Belfast. So not only only was it good to get out and be the closing keynote speaker at a conference, but it was also great to get back to Belfast, a beautiful city anyway. But honestly, Pascal, they've made some massive um, urban renewal projects um, fly over the last 15 years, and some of it was really quite astonishing to see. Yeah, and Amsterdam is equally charming. I mean, people know about the canal, the architecture, and, and the people as well. Uh, so for me, I was in Amsterdam 24 years ago. It was actually a surprise birthday uh, present, um, a city trip, a weekend trip organized by, by Denise. And we st I still had very fond memories, but to be there and, and be there for four days amongst you know, the, the, the filmmakers and distributors was quite something. But I, what was interesting, the day I landed back into the UK from Amsterdam was the day you flew to um, Belfast, was also the day that we got hit by Storm Debbie, and I must confess, I must confess, I was I was a bit concerned, which is why I got I got in touch with you on Messenger to make sure that everything was okay. Yeah, of course, I arrived at Edinburgh Airport. Now, this was my first time flying with Aer Lingus, which is the actual 
um, Irish airline, but they also do flights from Edinburgh to um, Northern Ireland. And I do know that the Aer Lingus flights from Edinburgh to Belfast are on ATR-72 planes, which are quite small, and they're propeller-driven planes as opposed to jets. So I was a little bit nervous already because obviously propeller planes fly lower than jets and storms and low-flying planes just don't go together in my mind. So I arrived at the airport already feeling a bit nervous and then got told that there was a two-hour delay on the flight because of this storm. So as you would expect, I spent a couple of hours at the airport getting myself a little bit wound up. It necessitated me popping into Weatherspoons to get myself a beer to try and calm myself down. But as you would expect, as soon as we got on the flight, we took off and we flew over to Belfast and there wasn't hardly any lumps and bumps at all because wow. by that time, the, the storm had gone. It was the fact that the storm had been earlier in the day that had caused the delays to mount up. But by the time we flew, everything was fine. Yeah. Listen, I've got so many questions to ask you because I, there's two things I'm, I'm curious about is the format of the event, you know, what happened. Uh, you share with me uh, this, this incredible moment, which I will let you reveal about very, very special guests. But I want to do also in a moment to ask you about you, the closing keynote and your preparation and, and what it feels like to wait all day for your turn as well. And, and there's also <laughs> all things I want to talk to you about. And, and in exchange, I will share the same thing about the International Documentary Film Festival, the format, mm -hmm. what happens uh, I'm preparing a, an article, actually, to summarize some of the marketing advice given by publicists and distributors and so on, which are transferable skills and tactics to uh, other sectors as well. Yeah. So let's start from the very beginning. So I invited myself to the festival, but you were invited. So when were you contacted by the organizers? Well, apparently what happened is uh, there was a lady um, in Belfast called Sharon who had read my book, Cats, Mats and Marketing Plans, and apparently she sent a LinkedIn message to the organiser of the conference, um, Trina Clark, and said, this is a great book. Um, it's made me laugh. It's uh, got a lot of really um, relevant stuff to talk about keeping marketing simple um this is a, this is the sort of person you might want to invite to speak at big big marketing meetup and quite literally i think trina then just emailed me straight away or contacted me on linkedin and that was about uh, five months ago and here we are um all done and dusted so it just goes to show that writing a book can be a calling card which can get you invited to speak at anywhere anywhere in the world is that a hint from you for me to finish my book? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely right, Pascal. But uh, I think your your reputation as a film marketer precedes you. Well, so how, how did you find out about the the, the Amsterdam gig? Well, then? thank you because I, you know, to, to my shame and embarrassment, I wasn't aware of that particular festival. I think, as has been obvious for three years now, with our film marketing reviews. Uh, fiction is my domain. Uh, Non-fiction, I'm aware of it, and certainly I've helped a few people. But a few months ago, I was contacted by a filmmaker who got my name via uh, our network for me to help him put together a social media campaign and to review his website because he was weeks away from a world premiere in Mexico. Now, his name is uh, Jesus or Jesus Munoz, and he's a director of a movie called Guadalupe, a, The Making of a Nation. And this is a, a documentary, superbly filmed, so cinematic, which is looking at the history of Mexico City through the lens of religion from the native tribes all the way to Christianity. And it is quite something to watch, you know, the way they've weaved poetry, uh, theater, and cinema. And the whole premise is how 
um, the Spaniards at the time and, and more used storytelling to bring different nations, different cultures together around the figure of the Virgin Mary. So um, we worked together for several months to make sure the social media was right for the, Me the premier Mexico City. It was interesting to work with a bit of Spanish content as well. And through one of the coaching sessions, he said, oh, by the way, um, I'll be flying from Los Angeles after the UK, uh, US premiere to go to ITFA, which is the acronym for International Documentary Film Festival. And without even thinking about it, I said, can I come? I literally asked a question, can I join you and finish what we start, which is essentially put together the, the marketing pack to impress distributors and sales agents. And he said, yes. And before I knew it, here I was. Now, you had some challenges with the weather. Uh, I had challenges with technology. So <laughs> this is what, what happened. So not only did I rush a bit my uh, registration because it was so, so late, but um, you know, organized a flight with KLM that went very, very well, organized the hotel through booking.com. But we'd forgotten that the booking.com account was linked to Denise's credit card that sadly she got stolen a few, a few weeks ago. So two days before leaving for Amsterdam, I get an alert from booking.com saying your booking's been cancelled because we could not obviously process payment. <laughs> can, can you imagine trying to find a hotel in Amsterdam during one of the busiest weekend ever uh, of a film festival? But anyway, we, we got there in the end and we spent four days um, meeting sales agents, presented to them. I can share some tips on that and attending talks. It was so busy on the business side that we didn't get a chance to see any documentaries, which is really quite bizarre. But just to be clear about film festivals, uh, if we use the example of the Cannes Film Festival, where my people will know best, you have what you can see on TV, radio, and magazine, you know, the red carpet, the, 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 the awards, the jury, and that kind of things. But behind all this kind of... Um, you know, say um, in the jungle with circus, you've got the real business of film, which is what's called the market. And it's like a trade show. So literally it's like an exhibition where you have distributors with stands, they have pop-up banners with um, posters of their films, and they are uh, pitching, they are negotiating deals with uh, streaming services like Netflix and, and or more independent one, negotiating with representation and so on. There's real kind of um, business side, which is exactly in a similar nature and format if you went to an engineering uh, expo or trade show or to a financial services trade show. You've got those who are in the business of buying and those who are in the business of selling. Do you know what I never really thought of before? I, I just assumed that when it came to films or documentaries or anything, that somebody would get commissioned to make a documentary. So go away and do a documentary on the building of the Titanic, for example, and that company would go away and uh, make the documentary, and then whoever asked for it, the, the uh, TV sh uh, station or whoever, would then broadcast it. But what you're actually saying here is that people go away and make documentaries and then try to sell them to a distributor. That's not the way it, ha it, it happened in my mind. I, I know. Uh, so th there's in both cases, but essentially documentary makers are creating their own luck, and which is mm. a, a theme that actually ran through all the presentation. So sometimes what they'll do is they'll get to the point of what's called the rough cut, and present the kind of in-progress project to actually whet the appetite of investors to get completion money, uh, as it's called, and or to somebody to say, listen, uh, I've seen what you've done so far. 
I want to be the distributor. Let's do a deal now before it's even finished. And they can sometimes negotiate marketing funds as well. So you have both ways, because I've met commissioners, I've met funding bodies, I've met the documentary makers. Um, yeah, lots to tell you in a moment. But I want to go back to you then and in Belfast. And so you had to wait all day for your moment, for you to be the closing keynote. And I'm very curious, as a public speaker myself and for our viewers and listeners as well, how did you manage the day? How did you manage your, manage your energy? How did you manage the, perhaps the risk to be distracted and enjoy the day so much you must forget about what you're supposed to say? <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I, when I go to a um, speak at a conference, I make a commitment to be there for the entire event. I'm not one of these people that turns up 15 minutes before the speech, expects to be waited on hand and foot, and then does the speech and then disappears in a helicopter straight around afterwards. So I was absolutely delighted to be there all day to network with people, to meet the other speakers, to talk to the delegates and talk to the organisers and just, just be there and, and, and contribute. So being there for the whole day didn't worry me at all. Um, I guess that um, what, one of the things that is quite interesting, I mean, this was a marketing conference for marketing people. So a lot of people in the room knew their stuff already. And therefore, the, the speakers, um, Trina had selected the speakers to, to talk about specific messages. And one thing that I did feel as the day went by is that people were saying the sort of things that I had built into what I was going to be talking about. So I'm thinking, oh, there's a bit that's already been um, done. Um, and there's a bit that, uh, that has, that's already been done. And I'm thinking by the end of the day, I'm not going to have anything left to talk about. But of course, that it was quite good in a way because I could almost use it as a sort of wrap up to the day, which I suppose is what a, a closing keynote is supposed to be. Um, but no, the, the day flew by because it was very um, well organized. None of the speeches were more than 25 minutes long, which I think is really quite nice. You know, it keeps it fast paced. You don't have to sit there for an entire hour listening to one person. They effectively did about five 25 minute speeches in the morning. Then they had a series of 10 minute um, either interviews or 10 minute quick speeches, one of which I'm going to come back to, which absolutely blew me away. And then another five 25 minute spe speeches in the afternoon. I guess the only thing that did worry me a little bit was that it's winter, it's winter's approaching, it was starting to get dark, Belfast is notoriously busy, and quite a few people did start to drift away um, after about three o'clock, with still three or four speeches left to happen, and I'm still, I'm sitting there thinking, I hope people do stay for the closing keynote, but whilst, whilst there were some people who'd gone, you know, the vast majority were still there at the end, and it didn't even finish with the closing keynote, because there was a drinks reception after I'd done my closing keynote, keynote and then we had another session where myself and another author a guy called um, Dave Mannheim we actually were interviewed as part of their after conference book club where we got an opportunity to talk about our books uh, but perhaps we'll come back to that so yeah. what was your experience like from the actual conference logistics point of view so it was the very first um, festival of that kind as in non-fiction work um, back in Amsterdam. For me, you know, looking back now, I should have given myself more time to prepare before, but it was work, 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 fly to Amsterdam. So 
you know, when I got there on the Friday evening, it was almost like the first time I really properly opened, launched their website to really study um, what to do. And that carried on over the morning. So with a production team of Guadalupe, the making of a nation with um, Jesus and his production team, we sat down to have a um, kind of a breakfast meeting. And literally we said, what is our strategy? What And I asked, you know, I was doing my bit as a consultant. I said, you know, what does success look like to you, Jesus? And he said, I want to find a sales agent for Europe. Uh, and I think that's really important for any form of business transaction. It could be film, it could be engineering, it could be a service, it could be whatever. You know, to have that level of clarity about, you know, who your ideal uh, business partner, distributor, in this case, buyer is. Because once you have that level of clarity, and you can have, you know, a success A, B, C. You can have a grading. You can then go to the website and study the um, guest list, as it was called. And you can do keyword research on, well, who is already a distributor of Spanish, um, you know, language uh, documentaries. Actually, the documentary is in Spanish and in Nahuatl, which is the uh, original Aztec language as well. It's absolutely exquisite to listen to and watch at the same time. So you have a level of clarity. So you... You start to, you know, um, find those individuals, uh, commissioners, to your point, distributors, and so on, and you send email requests for a meeting. Now, there was three main venues for the festival. There was the, the central one. You get to get your pass and your badges and, and get directions. You're given this big kind of roadmap of um, the festival is over seven days, but the business side is takes place mostly over the weekend. The business meeting with the distributors took place in a different building, a quarter of an hour uh, away uh, if you walked. But it's a gorgeous city, um, Amsterdam, so you don't mind. And it's called Docs for Sale, short for Documentaries for Sale. And you have a room full of round tables. It's quite informal. And people spot each other from the distance, wave, you sit down, and you present your film. And I'll talk to you in a moment about the structure of a presentation for a sales agent to be enthused and 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 convinced that your option is yours because you need to understand that distributors and sales agent can only take so many films per year. And so let's say if it's 10, you know, once you get once they have their 10, that's it, they won't accept any more. And so they don't want to make a risk of taking the wrong thing. So that's the business side. Then you have talks, and there were three different formats. There was the very, very informal: um, have a grab a coffee, sit down, and let's have a chat about you know my profession. So I went to one about how to work with a publicist. And publicist is a term that you may have seen on the closing credits of of movies. Sometimes they call unit publicist, and they are for you and I, and for people working outside of the film industry. PR agents and and more. Then there was the kind of workshop masterclass format. So the room was laid out a bit differently. It was more theater style, screens and speakers on stage. And then you had the keynote addresses and then you went to this incredible staged area. Uh, in fact, um, it was so beautiful and so dark, I couldn't take notes. So I had to actually press record on the mobile phone and I'll tell you how I'm going to be making use of that using AI. So for me, you know, th that was really well thought out as an experience for those who are here to sell and by you know the, the, the documentaries, you've got the trading side, the trade show, shall we say, and you've got the learning experience. And uh, there was also for the evening exhibitions around the future of um, documentary and the future of storytelling using VR and AR, which I thought was also very, very interesting. I think the environment it makes a massive difference, doesn't it, when you um, when you go to an event like this. Um, 
you asked me before about what it was like to wait all day to be the closing keynote speaker. I actually got up incredibly early on that day because the venue for the conference was in what's now known in Belfast as the Titanic Quarter. Now, obviously, everybody has heard of the Titanic, that famous, gigantic, super luxury liner that sadly sank way back in 1912. But the Titanic and its two sister ships, the Britannic and the Olympic, which nobody ever remembers, which were almost identical to the Titanic, were built in this actual area where this conference took place, the Titanic Quarter. Now, originally it was a gigantic shipyard um, uh, run by a massive firm called Harland and Wolf, which just sounds incredible, doesn't it? Harland and Wolf. And the skyline of Belfast is still dominated by these two gigantic cranes of Harland and Wolf. In fact, the two cranes have H and W on them. And I didn't know this until I was there, but the cranes have actually got names, Samson and Goliath, uh, because they are absolutely gigantic. I, I thought they dated back to the building in the Titanic, but apparently they were built in the 1960s, but that, that's beside the side beside the way. But getting up early, Pascal, and wandering around the Titanic quarter and the absolute power of history that is there. And of course, they've now built this thing called Titanic Belfast, which is effectively a, a museum dedicated to the memory of the Titanic. And it is such a striking building because it's got the sort of the, the front of the ship on each side of this building. It's absolutely stunning. So by the time I actually went and registered for the conference, I'd already done a massive walk around the area and I was absolutely bouncing with excitement. And that was that was effectively about the history of the Titanic that was getting me excited. And of course, thinking about the films that have been made since like A Night to Remember, the black and white film about the Titanic, and of course, James Cameron's Titanic made um, about 30 years ago. No, you're right, you know, and that's one of the, uh, you know, the real pleasure of particularly traveling and going somewhere, you know, that walk to the registration desk and you take it in on board. And in my case, as I mentioned, the canal, the architecture. Um, one thing uh, for those, those of you who have been to Amsterdam for a while, beware of the bicycles. I mean, they are a menace because they are, they are so fast, but they're also so quiet. Uh, I, I mean, like every day, at least five near in, you know, incidents because you just walk, you, you mind your own business, and then sure enough, you step uh, in front of a of, of a bicyclette, as they say where I come from. And um, but apart from that, the um, you know, the, at first you, you kind of go, oh, why didn't you use just one venue? Why spread everything around? But it was only 10 minute, 15 minute walk, and actually, what what was uh, beneficial, which I realized afterwards. It gives you time to reflect on maybe the, the recent meeting, or you know, take take on board what you may have learned and start to plan. You know what you're going to do next. So you find that um, people either went to the the main venue, which is called the International Theatre, or to the secondary venue where most of the meeting was taking place, called the Felix Meritis. Um, very very beautiful um, buildings. And part of what we were doing, of course, is then putting in, in into practice what my client and I have been preparing for a while. So very, very quickly, with regard to presenting a product, because that's what it is, you know, a documentary is a product like everything else, you have to have 
many ways in which you're going to introduce and explain what you've done. So what you need to understand is you need to be able to adapt to whoever you're talking to. If they are a sales agent, it'll be different to if they are a distributor, very different if they are a commissioner, very different if they are a funding body. So what we'd prepared is three, four different synopsis, if you will, of what the film was all about. But what I introduced quite early on in our coaching session is also uh, inviting the other person to imagine how the audience is going to feel whilst watching the um, the movie and the kind of conversation it will generate after. And that was a, a quite a, a gap in, in their kind of uh, you know marketing pack. And it's very important to have um, talking points. What I mean by that is business cards were working very, very well at the um, International Film Festival uh, to have also a press kit and where possible printed. If you can't get it printed, have it as a digital file on your tablet. But what the press kit does very, very well it helps you with nerves or it helps you with remembering all the things you've got to say about your movie. Uh, it's literally, you know, the four P's or the seven P's, you know, well, you talk about the crew, the cast, you talk about the, the, the photography, you talk about, you know, the editing, you've got so much to say that it could get a bit scrambled in your head. And the good thing about the press kit, you could slide through the tablet or flick through the pages and using photography, you can say, well, this is the anecdote about that, that movie. And also representing, of course, you know, the, the value production because distributors do want to make sure that they are presenting either through theaters and through streaming services, something that has a lasting impact on people. So you've got to almost predict the future by telling the story from the audience perspective, as well as presenting, you know, what it was like for you to make the film. And very often for many of the filmmakers, they'll tell you about what it was like to make the film, but they forget the audience. And that's something we can discuss further. Yeah, one of the standout um, speeches for, for me at Big Marketing Meetup was actually one of the shorter 10-minute speeches that I told you about that, that took place sort of in the middle of the program. And um, I have to say, I'll preface this by saying that uh, this guy who was speaking has an incredible story to tell, and it's all about a viral pretend ad that he put together that went mega global now i have to preface this by saying i never ever saw this when it happened but it, it's given this guy an, a massive amount of notoriety so kieran McEwen um stands up on the stage and he's actually a tech uh product developer for a tech firm um but one day as the barbie film love how there's all these film references that we can still bring into this when the Barbie film came out, he just had this brainwave that wouldn't it be good if Heineken, the brand, and if you say Heineken very slowly, Heineken, you can actually make a connection between <laughs> Barbie and Heineken, the drinks brand. So he quickly um, fired up Canva, created uh, effectively just a, uh, a blow up of the Heineken logo, but moved it so that effectively you had a, the Ken in in the screenshot, and the rest of the logo was sort of out to the side. And then he put at the bottom a strap line, "Go on, let's party." And he basically put this up on Twitter and on LinkedIn. And it went absolutely mega global. He's got hundreds of thousands, if not millions of views of this particular advert. And people started sharing it. And the people who shared it started getting millions of views. And before you know it, this Heineken advert had gone around the world. And it was 
produced by this guy on Canva in his room. It was absolutely nothing to do with um, Heineken. Uh, but he all started get. He then starts getting uh, messages from people saying, "This is so creative. Do you do other um, creative work?" Blah blah blah. And he became incredibly um, uh, well known within a very short time. So he decided to start sending messages to people at Heineken, saying, "Have you seen this? Have you seen this?" And he was a bit upset for a while that absolutely nobody mm-hmm. from Heineken seemed to want to engage with him. Um, and he even went through a. A, a, a worrying period where he thought maybe he was going to get sued for it. Yeah, that's what he's preparing um, it. <laughs> you know, um, and and I, I'm sitting there thinking that's what he's preparing us for. He's going to prepare us for the fact that he gets sued. But finally, he did get actually get in touch with um, one of the very senior people at Heineken and indeed one of the very senior people at the agency that Heineken used to do their own advertising. And the, the top brass guy at the agency was so impressed by this that he actually invited Kieran to go with him to a massive conference in Serbia recently, and they shared the stage together. So it was just a really nice, whimsical little story told in a very engaging way. I mean, his speech was really engaging and, and just such a great story. And he could TEDx that for the rest of his yeah. life. It's just such a fabulous little um, vignette. But of course, all he did was had a creative idea and put it out there. And it was the archetypal example of something going absolutely mega, mega viral, absolutely brilliant. Yeah, that's good to hear. And it's true, people love those anecdotes. You know, I think one thing that was very striking for me whilst I was visiting, having meetings and, and so on, in terms of non-fiction work and the marketing of compared to fiction work, and particularly, you know, we, you and I spend time looking at posters and trailers and, and all the, the different assets. I will say that non-fiction uh, work is very, very creative when it comes to posters and trailers, mm-hmm. a lot more than the fiction work. And you know, it's almost like they're more than happy to break the rules and, and try different styles. Sometimes it was literally like a, a painting as opposed to photography, you know, as part of the poster design. The calligraphy is very, very daring. You know, they try different layouts as well. And, and, and the trailers really draw you in in such a way because ultimately those documentaries are, you know, retailing a, a, a true story. And that could mm. be a very personal story. That could be a historical event and so on. And when I, I'll give you a quick summary of the um, keynote address, which is always my version of wrapping up my time at, at the festival. There's some interesting um, insight into the, the, what the future looks like and the, the blurring of boundaries between now fiction and non-fiction work as well, where documentaries are emulating the appeal of fiction work and vice versa, you know, and, and, and what I thought was very interesting is to start because the, the advice given by the three speakers that I went to was always, you know, find what makes you individual and unique, find it, work very, very hard. And if you don't know, then let the audience tell you, and we're recommending all three of them were recommending to do some private screening and get the feedback because you, you, they were saying you might find that you had a story in your mind and you had a, um, a reaction in your mind for the audience, but the audience could react completely differently and even tell you what they think the story is. And you could be completely shocked and taken aback, but you've got to take it as wonderful marketing uh, information and you can reset your posters, you can reset your press kit and so on based on the real story you've told, which may not have been what you thought you were doing two years ago when you were writing that script. Yeah, no, no it's interesting, isn't it? I would have, again, 
I would have thought it would have been the other way around, that the documentary makers would be learning lessons from the fiction filmmakers on how to promote and advertise their films, as opposed to saying that actually it's the documentary people who are doing things a little bit more left of field. Yeah. The other thing that it would seem that documentary makers do a lot better is around networking, mm. or better, I've seen they're, they're less hesitant, and to do a lot more what they call impact campaigns. So I had to look it up and I had to ask, like publicists, you know, very much the, the lingo of the industry. So with, um, <clears throat> excuse me, impact campaign is this idea of targeting specific groups. It could be uh, obese, it could be NGOs, it could be uh, specialist media and so on, but really going for small groups by high impact. Yeah, yeah. Shall I tell you about a real standout moment for me at Big Marketing Meetup? Go on then. Honestly, Pascal, this absolutely blew me away. In fact, I had to message you as it happened did. Uh, on the day. Now, when you walked into this venue, very quirky venue in the Titanic quarters, I've already described, um, and it was a really nice theatre, so that you know, a, a sloped auditorium, so everybody had a really good view. The first thing you saw on the stage set was the big screen in front of you, where where people's slides would be projected. But then at the side, almost like wings, they had these static. Um, slides which were there for most of the day and on the right hand side there was a photograph of Seth Godin who is probably one of the most famous modern marketers in the world and a genuine marketer who believes in the entire marketing process as opposed to say a Gary V who's really very much more on the as, as a tactical side of things and Seth Godin's had a quote by his by his picture which says marketing is the center of the universe or marketing is, is the center of everything and of course everybody's oh look there's Seth Godin now in the middle of the day there was a section which was just said ask the marketer anything and the presenter for this section according to the program was a guy called Andy Jarvis who was actually one of the other keynote speakers uh, during the day now Everybody just assumed that this was going to be a Q&A and Andy Jarvis was going to be the marketer that was being asked the questions. And in, indeed, earlier in the day, the, the host of the day said, we'd just like you to use this app to submit any questions you might have for the Ask Me Anything session, which is coming along just after, after lunch. So after lunch, Andy Jarvis gets up. Uh, he basically says something like, who hands up any everybody who thought that it was actually me who was going to be asking answering the questions that you've been putting forward on the uh, questions app this morning and pretty much everybody put their hands up and he said no 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 i'm very pleased to welcome seth godin to the virtual screen and he did an about face and bam onto the screen live from america is seth godin and there was this sort of moment of utter shocked silence where everybody in the room was thinking my god it's seth godin how did she, how did trina clark manage to pull this one off and he was up there for 25 minutes answered loads of questions and you know what seth godin's like uh, pascal he he does a daily blog and sometimes his blogs maybe two or three lines long this guy is the absolute master of simplicity but he weaves massive wisdom into the simplicity of his answers so he answered loads of questions but all the answers were very short um and probably unrehearsed because they were submitted there were questions submitted during the day so they were it was real life and real live and happening but his ability to just 
get right to the point, make a simple, simple answer and weave it with wisdom absolutely blew me away. And the other interesting thing is that the guy, Dave Manaheim, who I've already mentioned, who was the other author who stayed behind later, he was sat beside me whilst this was happening. And he was the speaker who was going on after. And he says, <laughs> he says to me, he says, how the fucking hell am I going to follow Seth Godin? In fact, that's his what he, exactly what he said when he got up onto the stage. He says, "Good. How am I going to follow Seth Godin?" And in fact, he did do a damn good good job. Actually, his speech was incredibly funny, and he talked a lot about Walt Disney, which we haven't really got time to go into today. But wow, Pascal, Trina really pulled it off. And do you know what? She just sent him an email and said, "I'm doing this." I don't know how much you charge, although she's since found out that he usually charges about $30,000 for a speech. Uh, but he decided, because he liked the community feel of big marketing me meetup, he says, nope, find 25 minutes in my diary on the day and I'll do it. And there you go. Oh, I mean, you when you, you sent me the message and... Uh, you know, one of those moments where he, uh, I was just over the moon for you because I thought, this is it. This is like the big marketing meetup and the big marketing moment. And for you to be part of that experience uh, leading up to you doing the closing keynote, I thought, wow, that was going to be a lasting memory uh, for, for Roger Edwards. So I was absolutely delighted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So tell me about the the, the keynote that you mentioned earlier. The, right, the, yeah. The so one that's brought it all together. Uh, it's just great because literally it was it was Sherlock, as you know. You know, I, uh, if I, I had to do things, I will do things differently next year. I will protect time in my diary leading up to the festival to be better prepared to to send the, the meeting request earlier and to plan my time. But it, it was good because I went to see the presentation from a lady called Miriam on how to work with a publicist, uh, which was brilliant. Then the next day with Maya from um, a company called The Fourth Act, and I'll tell you a bit more about why she's called that about how to market your movie. And then there was a keynote address from a lady in charge of distribution for an independent distributor called Neon, called Elisa. Very, very quickly about my and the fourth act. I'm going to look at my notes because I want to do it justice, but she basically uh, is a marketer through and through. And she was addressing an audience where the marketing often is done after the movie is completed. So the movie gets done, and then people just, you know, sit down and go, well done us, right, let's think about marketing. <laughs> and, <laughs> and what she was saying, which is a case with Miriam by the publicist, you know, publicist was saying, please talk to me at the beginning of your journey as a filmmaker, not when the film is finished, because or two days before the festival. And what Maya was saying is that for, as a trick of the, the mind, you should, see, you should see marketing as a continuation of your creative process, as a continuation of your storytelling, which is what is called a company, the fourth act, because movies have three acts typically. And the fourth one is the marketing, because what she's arguing, which is then gives me a segue into the keynote, is that marketing is part of the experience for the audience. And you and I have spent 109 film marketing campaigns reviews to prove that very point. Now, with Alyssa, it was very interesting because she was looking at what was called the state of documentary distribution. So what's happened um, post-pandemic and where are we going? And her message was around this idea of there was a, an aspiration maybe that once the pandemic was kind of behind us, particularly the restrictions, it will go back to the 2019 way of doing business. And if anything, everything's changed. And what's changed primarily is twofold. You have 
a very slow return to theatres, but primarily, which surprised me, by a younger audience. The under 35 in the US are the most active um, returners, if you will, to theatre, while everybody else is sticking now to the streaming services. But we have also a more discerning audience, and a discerning audience that won the marketing to be part of the experience. They want something very authentic, very aligned with the, with the experience. And they want a sense of event leading up to the release of, of the cinema. And that's you know, for the theater. And they want something completely different when they stay at home and watching streaming services. And, and I think, therefore, her prediction, should I say, or, or thoughts were, we're going to have to be very, very clear that industry, what's the theater uh, experience compared to the home experience because if you don't have a much of a difference well the likelihood is people would stay at home because well it's cheaper and we've you know spoken about this before um she's saying a return to less titles but better bo box office as well and we spoke about this idea of uh, the the kind of uh, strange situation with abundance i mean you and i reported in the news a few months ago at disney is going to do less for Disney Plus and so on. And when it comes to um, cinema, what um, it's saying is that we need to find all of us in industry stories that are stranger than fiction and get the audience to be so excited about the potential to see this movie and for this movie to ignite conversations that word of mouth marketing of course works really well and the way to do so is to um, couple you know this idea of stranger than, stranger than fiction with a true cinematic um, scope and sound experience and you said and, and the way you can do that uh, as an example is to remaster older documentaries and she was mentioning the example of amazing grace which is a documentary from a long time ago about aretha franklin and apollo 11 where they as a distributor and production literally found some lost archive footage from the apollo 11 mission and created an immersive do documentary um so it was all uh, very, very interesting and then part of the the um, idea of things are never going to be the same again. She brought, so you talk about Barbie, when she talked about Taylor Swift and Beyonce. And what she was saying is, there's something here that we need to pay attention where someone like Beyonce or Taylor Swift bypass everybody, no distrib distributors, and they make their own documentary. And they bring this idea of the documentary concert as an experience on the big screen and with regard to documentary it would seem as though this may be the genre that's going to claim the IMAX experience a lot more than than fiction she very quickly mentioned that currently particularly in the US there are documentaries that typically will fall into three categories true crime celebrity and sport and that was chuckle when she did make the joke. If you can have all three together, uh, she said, I can't think of a sporting celebrity accused of a crime just now, <laughs> but if you can get all three three together, you, you have you have a winner. And marketing tactics, she, she mentioned quite a few, but one that I thought was very, very interesting, which is the idea of don't hesitate to have second run. So typically a movie, fiction on fiction, goes out to theater for a number of weeks, and then that is it. And then you have to wait patiently for this to go on to streaming. And what they have done is they've done so, 
But the day before it goes out to, let's say, the home environment, they released a movie for the one last night only tickets and created almost like a little frenzy and a little sense of, of excitement. I thought that was very, very interesting. And the, I mean, you mentioned lots of tactics, but the one that I want to close on is this idea of when a um, nonfiction content, as you mentioned, is successful, the audience is looking for another hit. So let's say for argument's sake, you've seen a documentary about a sporting celebrity in the world of football. What they know from the data from streaming is that that once that documentary is finished, the audience is going through the library of the streaming services to find the, the next documentary about a football celebrity. They want to continue to be in that environment. So what she's saying that there is a, a chance there for the industry to actually work more in collaboration, which they haven't done to date, because of course, it's all about the competition, and actually piggyback those cinema pass. Someone has a pass to go and see uh, 10 movies that month um, at a reduced rate, and they've seen a documentary uh, about nature, to use uh, a different different theme, why don't you encourage them through good database management to go and see the second, third, and fourth documentary about nature and support the, the entire industry? What um, the, the theme was in all three uh, presentations, Roger, is don't wait to be chosen. Go out there and create your own luck with uh, tactical and smart marketing. Yeah, makes makes a hell of a lot of sense and, and can be applied mm. to all industries, of mm, course. Indeed, yeah. What, one more story for me, Pascal, and I mentioned it earlier, is that the, the ending of the day at Big Marketing Meetup, after the final keynote, there was a drinks reception, so everybody was um, having a nice glass of wine or a glass of beer, and then we had a smaller, more intimate gathering afterwards, which was the book club, and it was myself and this other guy, Dave Mannheim, who I've, I've mentioned a few times, we were effectively interviewed about our books mine being cats mats and marketing plans now i did think you know i made that comment earlier on about people started drifting away after about three o'clock they probably had trains to catch or um they wanted to avoid the rush hour i did wonder are people really going to stay behind and i mean this we're talking this was going to be about 6 30 and yes it was a nice intimate close-knit group of people probably about 30 altogether who stayed behind but you knew immediately with the vibe in the room that the reason they stayed behind is because they absolutely wanted to and it was one of the most engaging um, 90 minute sessions that i've ever been involved with the questions were really interesting they were quite challenging the they were all really receptive i did my famous um cat on the map uh, speech at the beginning just to get everybody warmed up getting them to shout back your cat sat on our mat and all of that sort of thing and the other guy did something similar dave did something similar and it was just so so intimate and the thing was is that we could have probably gone on for another hour just chatting because everybody was so engaged and i'm sitting there thinking we're going to go on until well past eight o'clock at this rate and that was fine that was absolutely fine because that's what everybody wanted so it just goes to show the 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 real diehards i guess the people yes. were really interested they wanted to stay and we, we we could have stayed all night some of us even did believe it or not go off to the titanic hotel afterwards for another couple of drinks and the titanic hotel is is made up of 
some of the buildings of the White Star Line dating all the way back to the 1912. And, for example, the telegraph room where they received the message from Titanic to say it was sinking is now a meeting room. And uh, Andrews, Mr. Andrews, who was the designer of the, t the Titanic, his office is also a meeting room in the Titanic Hotel. So it just sort of finished the day off on a fabulously, fabulously historic um, sort of uh, connotation. So big marketing meetup in Belfast, massive, massive, massive thumbs up, met loads of really interesting people. Trina Clark, organizer, pulling off, getting Seth Godin, well done. That was remarkable and just a shout out to Niraj Kapoor who did pick me up on the Monday night and took me for a curry just after I arrived in Belfast even though I was two hours late he still came and picked me up and took me out for a curry one of the best conferences I've ever been to really enjoyed it so here's to the next one Oh, thank you very much for the for the recap there. Yeah, I feel the same about you know my, my town Amsterdam. I mean, it was my, all the more special to be with my client, to have a, a movie to talk about, and, and to almost do that dual thing of um, forgive me taking part, but observing and taking away key lessons that I wanted to share with you in the format of this podcast. I've got an article that I'll be writing. Uh, and at that point, actually, I'm just going to quickly uh, mention um, uh, an approach that I'm testing. You know, I've spoken a lot about AI and, and tools and so on. So do you remember the, the keynote um, it was in this gorgeous, superbly staged uh, room, but it was so incredibly dark. I couldn't actually uh, take notes. I couldn't see uh, what I was doing. So I pressed record on my audio recorder on the phone, which uh, I was very surprised by the quality of the audio. I didn't need much at all. And what I did then as a... Um, step i uploaded this on the headliner transcription app called eddie which i'm sure is uh, something to do with editing so you end up with a pretty damn good transcription you know there's a few errors there and whatever and and then what i was able to do then is to read you know the the, the audio which is a bit faster than listening to it i was able to highlight you know things i wanted to mention in this podcast but i thought i wonder if so I copied and pasted this transcript into ChatGPT and I asked a few questions. So can you give me a, a summary? Uh, can you give me a list of the top 10 questions filmmakers should be asking themselves based on this transcript? Can you give me uh, top three excerpts that I could use for social media? So you had this great little, um, little assistant. And then I was looking at the results and I was able to, um, to, to edit. And then it, I thought, I wonder if I can do, I can do the reverse. So if, what if I say I've never been to um, IDFA, you know, IDFA, um, how to prepare for next year and so on. So what I, I enjoyed is you begin with... Um, you know, the content already produced, which is where people get it wrong, as you and I have mentioned on this podcast. You know, you if you, you don't have the content and asking ChatGPT to write it for you, you're going to spend half a day editing everything. It's pointless. But if you do have the content to be able to give them some suggestion in terms of what a summary may look like or some top questions to ask yourself as a learning point, I thought was um, very, very powerful. And that helps me complete, of course, the the article for uh, my, my recap on, on the event itself. My goodness, Pascal, are you actually starting to become a fan of ChatGPT? Yeah. <laughs> for, for that very use, I think it's, it's um, absolutely spot on. No, I agree. So listen, I agree. <laughs>
It's been really, really interesting to do a very special recording and taking advantage of Fayona uh, traveled more or less at the same time, uh, different parts of of Europe, literally, and to bring you know to the fore to our viewers and listeners some little uh, stories, anecdotes, but also little uh, marketing gems. You know, normal programming will resume with episode one one one. I got that one right. You know, <laughs> other than and, and eleven, uh, we'll come back with the in the news, a content spotlight this time. Uh, this week in history uh, and film marketing, of course. But for now, this is the end of episode 110. Thank you very much for watching and listening to Gex Marketing Podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe and leave comments in usual places. Until the next time, go out there and make sure your marketing is done right. I was Pascal Pintoni and here was Roger Edwards. Mm-hmm.